0: Lord, we have actually sung the substance of our prayer. Holy Spirit, we want you to breathe on us now. We want you to mold us and melt us and make us and ultimately make us more like Jesus. Would you open the word? Father, would you hear our prayer and work in this moment? Last week, we looked at the guidance of the Spirit, how we make decisions, and said the two primary things to keep in mind that have to anchor everything are the Word of God and then the wisdom that we would gain um, from a walk with God, and we talked about that in some detail last week. I would not want you to listen to this week's sermon without going back and listening to that one, um, so I'll say that with trepidation because some of you are like, well, I'm not going to listen to it, so I'll just walk out and get some Starbucks right now, um, I hope you will actually listen to that because that one has to anchor this one. This morning we're going to look more at kind of the disruptive ways God works. There are times when we go, hey, that was weird and I think that was God. And we want to talk a little bit about that and how that works in um, just our walk with God. And I got an email uh, actually this morning because I'd had a conversation with somebody and uh, he was sharing an experience of the Spirit that I just thought, well, he he showed up to church today. That was his mistake. I put him on the spot first service. I'm putting him on the spot second service. Ask him to come and share. Joey, would you come and share a little bit of the testimony you shared with me?
1: So it was my freshman year at Biola, uh, and it was missions conference time. And uh, to give you a little setting of what that uh, looks like is it was extended worship uh, after one of the sessions. And just during that time, there's a lot of prayer that's going on. There's a prayer team that's up front. Uh, There's lots of uh, singing worship. And I just felt moved to pray, God, use me in any way that you want. And in my mind, I was like, that is totally missional. I'm going to go on a missions trip. Uh, but I finished the prayer and I said, Amen. And I automatically heard, Go pray for that guy. I was like, Huh? <laughs> like, yeah, I just prayed that. But no. And I heard God say again, Go pray for that guy. And I was like, No, like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I said, Yes, you could use me, but not this quickly. Um,. And what am I going to say? And all I heard was go. And then my feet started going forward. And I placed my hands on this guy. And I said a few words. And I turned around. And I went back. And I looked back at this guy. And he was now on the ground. With his hands in his face. And I said, look God. You made it worse. Thanks. (laughs) And... The rest of the session went on. That kept coming to my mind. I was like, I hope I never see that guy again. Um, And he found me after, and he goes, Hi, my name is Adam. And I was like, Adam, it's nice to meet you. And he's like, I want to tell you what was happening on my side before you came up. Is my mom uh, has just finished her cancer treatments, and she doesn't have cancer. Um, And... We're really excited about that. But recently, all of her friends who were claimed to be cancer-free started to get symptoms again of having cancer. And I was praying, and I was saying, God, I really don't want my mom to have to go through this again. God, I just really need a verbal confirmation from you that my mom doesn't have to do this. Amen, And that's when the moment you walked up and you placed your hands on me and said, your mom doesn't have to deal with it anymore. She's healed. You don't have to worry. And I had the exact same response that he had after I had said that. I fell and I put my hands on my face and I said, thank you, God. That's amazing. And one of our favorite traditions over the past nine years Uh, Has been texting each other when Missions Conference comes up, and I say, Still cancer free? And he still says, Still cancer free. And it's been nine years.
0: Um, Is that going to happen ever again? Is that going to happen to me? How does that work? Uh, Is that common? Should I expect that? How how do I process stuff like that? A few years ago, we went through the book of Acts, and one of the things that struck me is how often the Holy Spirit actually did break through in disruptive ways. I mean, just think with me for a minute. In Acts chapter 8, he says to Philip, go down to the road to Gaza, and then he says, go and join that chariot. In Acts chapter 9, he says out of heaven, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, a guy's going to come and heal you. And then he breaks in on this other guy, Ananias, and says, I want you to go and heal him. And there's all this conversation going on. In Acts chapter 10 we find that Peter is getting hungry and he's going up to the roof of the house to rest and he kind of dozes and then it turns into a vision from God that says hey, I'm, I'm, I'm making things new and there's, don't, don't misunderstand what clean and unclean is and at that moment, some Gentiles show up and the Holy Spirit says to him go downstairs and go with them because this is from me. Acts chapter 11, a prophet shows up named Agabus and he says hey, there's going to be a terrible famine that's going to strike the whole world we've got to be ready. Acts chapter 12, we find Peter in prison and an angel actually whacks him on the side and says to him, get up, follow me, get your clothes on, let's go. There's all this interaction that is not normal. It's not, hey, I was reading the word of God and this truth struck me. I was having a conversation with my godly friend, and we just felt like God was helping us uh, grow this way, or see this thing, or move this direction. It's one of those moments when it's like, wow, that was weird, but I think that was God. And we find that is scattered throughout the whole book of Acts. Acts. And I want to remind us that as we look at something like the book of Acts, it's easy to make one of two errors. One error is to say that the church today is to look exactly like the book of Acts, and that's demonstrably from the rest of Scripture not true, at least not it's consistently that way. There was a distinctive role at the beginning. There was a distinctive role the apostles played, and we shouldn't necessarily expect it to look exactly like that. The other error is just as great, though, to think that's just a bracketed thing, that happened, has nothing really to do with right now, it's just some interesting history, and that's also false. The book of Acts is the launching pad for our expectations for what God might do today. Looks different, in different contexts, at different times, but is not completely disconnected. And so when we see throughout the book of Acts, over and over and over again, not every person, not every experience, but overwhelmingly, lots of people and lots of experiences, God is breaking in more directly and saying things and doing things. We have to ask ourselves, how does that work for me today? How does that work for us as people who want to be open to the spirit of God and what he intends? How does that work and I wanna point us basically to two things. I wanna start by giving us uh, how God might speak in this disruptive way, in that way where you go walk away from the experience and go, that was weird, but I think that was God, right? That um, miraculous way. And there's really two things. I'm not, I'm not parsing this like a systematic theologian would with all kinds of careful, careful categories. I'm giving us broader buckets to hold the truth in that will be useful for us just day to day. So two key ways that he speaks, uh, he will speak to me um, through a personal word or through a prophetic word, right? And I'll unpack that in just a second. So that's the first thing, how does God speak? And then the second thing is how do I know that God's the one who spoke? How do I make sure that I'm hearing God and responding rightly to God? How do I protect myself from being foolish? And I wanna give three guiding principles for that. And uh, in fact, if if you like to track two ways God speaks, the personal word and the prophetic word. Second key thing we're going to look at is three guiding principles for knowing how to respond. And those three guiding principles are, first, foundationally, don't crave miracles. People get into all kinds of troubles when they start chasing after that. Second thing, be discerning. Be discerning. And then the third thing is be humble. So if I think God is speaking to me and it's one of those out of the ordinary, wow, that was weird, but I think that was God moments. If if I'm approaching it from a heart that's already saying, I'm not really chasing the miraculous and I really will discern in this moment and I'm gonna keep myself humble, that postures me to where I can actually respond to the spirit in that. So if you have a Bible, would you open to Acts chapter 16, please? And let me read you some verses. A lot of the passages we're coming to in this section of our series, we keep coming back to the same ones. Not that there aren't some others, but I just want to keep some foundational ones a little bit more in our consciousness. So maybe they'll, they'll stick a little bit better. So you're going to hear some passages we've touched on um, once or twice before. Uh, Acts chapter 16 Uh, How does God speak to us? I I said a personal word and a prophetic word, right? Here's the personal word. Personal word, the word, the way I'm using it is is just kind of directly to me. There's nobody who's handing me this message. It's a direct work of God that I can sense in some miraculous way. So here in Acts 16, there's multiple examples of that. Starting in verse 6, Paul and the missionary band are looking to do fresh ministry, and it says they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, it doesn't tell us how, but it would seem it was more direct than God sent a messenger to say, don't go to Asia. Something direct there, probably, a personal word from God of some form. Verse seven, when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, probably a personal something where he's speaking to them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. So we see this series, and we could look through this section of scripture, and we'd see more kinds of things. But God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Here's a vision. Go do that. And it's all direct from God to the missionary band, right? There's no intervening voice. It's just a personal word from God. And If God is alive and active and all powerful and engaged with me, and by the way, he is alive and active and all powerful and engaged with me, then there's every reason to believe that at some point or other, he may want to speak directly. He's spoken in his word, and that's the foundation for everything. He's shaping my heart and mind, and he's put me in a community, and that is where I get my primary understanding of life and moving forward and partnering with the Spirit. Check last week's message. But sometimes he wants to speak more directly. And this word here is uh, one of those more direct moments where he breaks in on Paul and on the team and says, here's the things I want you to know. Here's the things I want you to hear. And um, as he does that, um, he reveals his will. So what does that look like for me? Well, I think there could be a number of things we see in scripture and experience. It could take a number of forms. It could be a physical sensation, Something where, well that was weird, but that was God, I think. And I'm guided through that. I was making a, a choice a number of years ago. It was a life-changing choice. It was one of those bigger choices that you have to make. And there were dif- four different options. And I was interacting with somebody who was giving me, actually literally handing me information on these four different options. And they handed me option A, and I looked at it and said, okay, thank you. Set so the it aside, they handed me option B, and I looked at it and said, thank you. And set so the it aside, they handed me option C, and... <laughs> It was like literally like a jolt of electricity went through my body. I have no idea what it actually was, but that's what it felt like. And in that moment, I knew option C was the only option for me. And I put it down and said, thank you. And then I handed me option D, and nothing happened. I put it down and said, thank you. And from then, I was really clear. Option C was what I was supposed to do. And there was this moment where God did something. I don't know what it was, but it was weird, and I'm pretty sure it was God. Right? That was a direct speaking into my life through some sort of a circumstance. Um, There was a time I was on a walk with a friend at night. It was an area we used to walk in at night. We weren't getting into trouble, but it was kind of in this forested area. We lived in the forest, and um, everything was fine. And then suddenly we rounded the corner. We were about to go down the hill into this copse of trees, and I had this incredible a moment where, uh, literally, I, I was I was overwhelmed, and I just kind of curled up like this, and my eyes started to water, and I got nauseous, and this overwhelming sense of foreboding hit me, and it's like, whatever you do, don't go there. And I was about to turn to my friend apologetically and say, maybe we shouldn't go there. And they were having the same experience. I, I don't know what it was, but it was weird, and I think it was God. And I don't know what was going on there, why I couldn't go there, but we just listened. Because there was something going on and I think that was God speaking in and guiding us. Uh, Sometimes he uses dreams. Some of you I know have had dreams that have vetted out to be, this is from God, right? Uh, Dreams mean something, okay? Every dream means something. Let me give you the quick down and dirty method to tell what almost every dream means. And then there's those exceptional ones, okay? Almost every dream you have means you're sleeping. <laughs> that's it, that's the meaning. Yeah, but it was really weird And these, it's like, yeah, you're sleeping. Dreams predominantly are just whatever physiological, psychological thing God ordained to work through dreams, that's what happens. But every once in a while, he might actually break in and do something more dramatic. We're heading off to Cambodia, and one of the guys that I met there the first time is this significant leader within the church, and um, he came to Christ because of a dream. It was very vivid and it was very clear. He was literally dangling over hell. And he knew it. Because his mom, had, his mom had come to Christ and she had bad vision and she was doing a Bible study, which means he had to read to her. And he'd grown up Buddhist, but he was getting this Christian teaching along the way. And God began to work and he had this dream where he's dangling over hell in this enveloped in this circle of impenetrable, inky darkness, and he hears a voice, says, it's not your time, and then a hand pierces through the darkness and pulls him out into the light, and he wakes up. He immediately goes and wakes up his mom and accepts Christ right then and there, because God was speaking to him in that moment, and God can do that. Sometimes voices and visions together or separately um, shared some stories. If you've been here for almost a year now, um, last May, my wife got up and shared Uh, something, one of those moments that uh, that was weird, but I think that was God kind of moments. You you remember when I was in the hospital and everyone was really concerned that I might not even make it, and it was really serious, and as she was kind of processing that real time and working it through with God, just this, this picture came into her mind, and it wasn't just like, well, I can imagine. It was more intrusive than that. It was like a picture came into her mind of my hospital room filled with church leaders praying for my healing, and um, it wouldn't go away. And it was a very inconvenient time for everyone else. It was right before, it was a Saturday night, worst time to call a church leader. And yet she did, and they came, and they prayed, and were very much convinced that that was a significant part of God's work in healing me and why I'm here at all. Right, That was, I think, one of those moments that was weird, but I'm pretty sure it was God. You may have those. Saul and, or Paul and his team had those. The book of Acts shows different people having those where God gives a direct word through whatever source he chooses. Sometimes he gives it through a messenger which we would then call a prophetic word. If you want to maybe uh, turn over a couple of chapters, Acts 21. This is a a series of events where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and in town after town, this prophetic word keeps coming to him in one form or another. We'll just read two instances of it. In Acts 21, verse 4, they're in a town, and it says, "...having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem." Spirit was stirring them and telling them what was going to happen. And they came to Paul and said, don't go in there. Don't, you know, like in the horror movie, if you could just shout to the person who's about to open the door, don't open the door. And they always do it. And Paul's like that person. They're saying, don't open the door. Don't open the door. And let's pick up the story just a little further down. Verse 10, uh, they're in a different town now. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, we heard about him in chapter 11, came down from Judea. for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since we could not persuade him, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Somebody else is delivering a message. But it's from God. That happens sometimes too. Prophetic word. Um, We need to be really careful if we think we have a prophetic word for somebody because it's easy to say, here's what God's telling you, right? Probably in various sermons you're, you're uh, tempted to elbow somebody and say, God's speaking to you, right? More than one wife has had a prophetic word for her husband. The word is salad. I don't know why that's such a prophetically important word, but it is for so many of us, and usually it's delivered by our wives. Salad. Right? There's different things that we want to communicate, and some of them may be important to communicate. That doesn't mean it's necessarily from God. But every once in a while, God may actually work through somebody else to deliver a message to me, or he may work in me to deliver a message to somebody else. Right, in fact, in Joey's testimony, Joey received kind of this direct communication from God and then was the instrument of a prophetic word for somebody else, Right? Both of those things happen. And I don't know if you've experienced people speaking to you. How do you understand? How do you know if that's actually from God or not? That's a really important question. I've had a a series, as I was preparing for this morning, I was thinking through just the different um, experiences I've had there. And over the last five years, there's at least a dozen, which is a lot in my experience, Um, And they tended to follow two main streams, that God seemed to want to communicate something to me additionally above and beyond what he was already communicating. One was actually taking what was here and driving it home, because somewhere in the chaos of my life, a message from God was getting squeezed out, and that message was, Robert, I love you very much. I need you to know that. I need you to feel that. And through a variety of messages from people, some of whom I I think they didn't actually realize that's what God was doing, and actions, God made that really clear. And as I looked at that, a number of those things were, well, that was weird, but I think that was God kind of experiences, and I really believe God was speaking through that. The other stream that he was uh, speaking into my life was basically saying, Robert, here's what I'm doing and here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand what's happening so that you can do this. And there were a number of things where he, he spoke in in that way, in a significant way that was helpful. Right? God may choose to speak to you beyond just this. Always start here. Always the foundation of everything. But there are times and places for his various purposes that he may do more. And when he does, it'll often look like what I've described as a personal word from God or a prophetic word from God. Am I open to him doing that? And if so, how am I supposed to respond? That's where the three guiding principles come in, and that's where I really want us to give as much attention as we can because I think this is the most important part of the sermon. The sermon. Let's just start with some general observations. If you read the book of Acts, or just think through the ones I've briefly highlighted, or think through experiences that you may have had that really do vet out to be from God, one of the things that I've seen, at least predominantly, if not every time, is, is that it's, um, it's an intrusive thing, right? It's not, it's not the normal experience. Something breaks in from the outside And um, God initiates. And I think one of the key principles that I need to keep in mind, if, if I'm going to be open to what God might do, and by the way, that's the whole point of this morning, is we need to be open to what God might do. But if I'm going to be open to what God might do, I need to start by saying it's not about miracles. It's about God. I don't crave miracles. I don't chase miracles. People get hung up on the miracle aspect of it, and then they overcorrect one way or the other far too easily. And if I'm one who is craving miracles, I can get all off kilter. I can read things in, and I can, I can accept things that I should never accept. And or I get demanding, God, you have to do this, you have to do that. Or I can dismiss that altogether because that's outside my experience or I don't like the abuses that I see and, and a foundation is just don't make it about the miracles. Right? Don't crave those things because that's not really, that's not really the point. Um, there are two examples, at least in Scripture, of people who crave miracles and both of them are negative. One is a whole community of faith. In Corinth... That was one of the issues, and that's one of the reasons the tone of Corinthians is a little bit sharp, because they've gotten off track, and they're chasing after the dog and pony show, and God's like, I'm not into dog and pony show, and I'll do the miraculous, but there's a purpose for it, And, and Paul's trying to pull them back to the purpose. The other example that pops up immediately is from the book of Acts, a guy named Simon Magus, and he sees... What's going on when the apostles lay their hands on people and all the miraculous things that are happening? Is like, wow, that's amazing. I would pay good money for that. And then he tries to. And Peter turns around and gives him a prophetic rebuke that will just pin your ears back. It's like, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? If I'm going to be positioned so that God can actually speak and I can actually respond, it starts by keeping my focus where it belongs. God not miracles per se. Don't crave miracles because that's not actually the helpful thing. Um, what we see here in Acts is widespread, but it doesn't appear to be normal. Right? Every, every story doesn't have a miracle in it. There's a lot of stories that don't. And my own experience of life and careful observation as much as I can of how the Christian life works is It is widespread, but not normal, right? It shouldn't be shocking when something happens because it happens all over the place to all different kinds of people. And if we sat down and talked, probably most of us could back up and say, well, yeah, that was kind of weird and I do think that was God. But it's not my daily experience. And I think for most of us anyway, it's not intended to be. And if I I guard my heart from this just hunger for miracles and, and instead I cultivate a hunger for God that protects me from a lot. And let me me just speak to one way that we subtly fall into hungering for the miraculous when it comes to understanding the will of God, and that's called a fleece. People will say, I'm gonna put out a fleece so that I can know what God wants. And by that saying, I'm gonna pray something, and if God does these things, then he will have identified himself. Actually, that's embedded in the in the uh, testimony Joey just gave. I think there can be a place for that. Don't, don't misunderstand. I think, I think there can be a place that at a time I can say, God, I need some help here. Would you strengthen my faith? Would you speak in? I have to hold that open-handedly. And I certainly don't want to base my theology of this off of the story of the fleece because it is a negative example. Gideon is not putting out a fleece to discern what God's will is. He's putting out a fleece to try to duck what he already knows. He's like, God, I know what you're saying, but let's do this and maybe we'll find a loophole. Uh, you, you said to do this, but I don't think so. So how about if you do this crazy thing? And if you don't do it, then I'll know it wasn't you. And then God does it. It's like, ah, okay, how about if you do this crazy thing and flips it completely over in case it's random and God does it again. And and Gideon's trying to duck God's will, not discern God's will. And when I get so focused on there's got to be something amazing, I may be tempted to say, okay, God, if you want me to do this, here's what needs to happen. Be really careful. There may be a time that God in his grace will confirm something for you. He's done that for me, did that in the story Joey shared. That's legitimate, but don't follow in Gideon's steps. And don't think for a moment that you or I have the right to dictate to God, I'll obey you once you come through with this. Don't do that, right? Don't crave miracles. That is really destructive. Second guiding principle for engaging with God in a more disruptive way, is found in 1 Thessalonians 5. In fact, if you want to turn there, I'd welcome you to join me. Another passage we've looked at, I just want to look at it again briefly. 1 Thessalonians five nineteen it says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Test everything. Hold on to what's good, reject what's not. Right. The second principle is be discerning. There may be something weird that may very well be God, but I don't necessarily understand what he's saying until I've done hard work to make sure I've actually discerned what he wants to get across. In the passages we read earlier, after Paul has the vision... Macedonian call. It says he shared that and we concluded. Very important little phrase. It means the apostolic band is wrestling with this, seeking to discern. Is this actually what God's saying? Did Paul just eat some bad pizza or is something real happening here? Is this from God and should we follow it? Be discerning the passage we read later on where there's this disagreement between Paul and everyone else about what the message of the Holy Spirit is, right? There's an ambiguity built in. It's not always crystal clear. It may be fairly clear God's speaking, but I have to be careful to make sure I'm understanding what he's saying. And it turns out Paul has information, the others don't. And so they're hearing this message and they're saying, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. And God's already shown Paul what's gonna happen and Paul's prepared for it. And he finally says, stop breaking my heart. And, and they, they, they have to discern, look, this is a message from God to Paul. We don't know everything. I'm not really comfortable with where Paul is, but who am I to tell him otherwise? Let's just, let's just release this and may the Lord's will be done right? Discernment is a process that we say, okay, what's actually going on here? Is this actually from God? And do I actually understand it because there's potential for ambiguity? How do I discern? Let me give you um, a few things that'll help discern because I, I, I better not trust myself. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's so much easier to discern the Holy Spirit saying, yes, it's fine to have a second piece of cheesecake, than it is to discern the Holy Spirit saying you should do a three-day fast. It just is, right? It's so much easier to discern the Holy Spirit saying, go ahead and spend the money on the clothes you were looking at that you like so much. And it's harder to discern him saying, hey, why don't you give all that money away, even though it's going to cost you something. So I have to be really careful that I don't just have things that well up in me and then I blame those on God and discernment is one of the ways I do that. And the the anchor point, the biggest, most important one is, is the word of God itself. Taking us back to what we talked about last week and what we talk about every week. Galatians 1 says, if an angel shows up from heaven and he tells you something different than the message you've already been given, it's a lie. Nothing Nothing and no one can trump this. So if I think God's telling me something in the more direct, disruptive, wow, that was weird, but I think it was God kind of way, I start here. And if it doesn't match, if it's not at least compatible, whatever's going on, it ain't God. Guaranteed. That's the first thing to discern. Secondly, um, I discern by um, checking with spiritually wise people. It's one of the reasons God's put us into a community, because we are all growing on different journeys, and there are those who have a certain level of maturity and sensitivity, and we ought to listen to them with a different um, sense than we would to just anybody else. And there's a lot of times God may be saying something in my life. I think He's saying something in my life. And the most important thing for me to do is go talk to somebody about it, but not just anybody, somebody with real spiritual discernment and stature. Because He wants me to discern what's being said. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians 14, talks about prophetic words in the church. And it says, after the word's been spoken, there should be a pause for this discernment process to take place. And there's people within the body who will help us discern if this really is the voice of God or not. I need to be really careful to discern. A third discernment point, you know, there's the word, there's wise voices, and then just look for God prints, right? Are there things that just obviously are from God or at least are hard to explain apart from God. If, if somebody's giving you a word from the Lord and it's just kind of a generic word, they, what they say may actually be fruitful, but I'm not sure I'm gonna put the weight of the Lord behind it, because you could've just figured that out. Might be more a word of wisdom, or you may be wrong altogether. But when somebody shows up and there's stuff that I can't really explain well apart from God, imagine, A voice coming out of heaven. Paul could say, Wow, I shouldn't have had those anchovies. I don't think I have to listen to what just said, but when he gets up, he's blind. And as far as I know, I mean, I'm not an anchovy fan and maybe that's another reason to avoid them. Maybe they cause blindness, I'm not sure. But I don't think so, he's blind. And when Ananias shows up in Paul's room and says, God has a message for you, oh, okay, fine, anyone can say that. And he says, be healed and suddenly he can see. It's like, whoa, not anyone can do that. When God's speaking, he's capable of putting his fingerprints on it in a way that you go, I think I better listen to this in a whole new way. Right? When, when I have received things from the Lord on those occasions, um, often it's come that way. A message comes to me that's quoting, or, or David, because we've been on a journey together. It, it'll come and it's, it's quoting a, a private journal entry that nobody else has seen, verbatim. And then saying, here's what I want you to know. It's like, oh, that's weird. Maybe that's God. Or it's quoting verbatim prayers that have been offered up in private repeatedly. And then here it is. The prayers are being quoted back with a message attached. That's, that's weird. They, I, maybe they're just really good at guessing. Maybe that's just coincidental. I don't, I don't think so. I think that is a sign that perhaps I should pay closer attention. Or when a message is given and later on it's confirmed by somebody else, completely separate. I had somebody share something. They quoted a passage of scripture as the foundation for what they were saying. But what they were saying was very pointed. It was beyond just discerning scripture. It was a prophetic word. And right after that, I'm in a conversation with a very discerning wise person who randomly quotes exactly the same text. It's not a very common text. And makes a similar assertion about things. And I'm listening, God. First one was a prophetic word. I don't even really think the second one was. But it was confirming. right? So discern what God is saying includes discern if, if God is saying at all. Before I start acting on it. Now let me just, let me just give you one principle that's really helpful here need to understand what philosophers call warrant. Warrant is basically the intellectual right to hold my viewpoint. If we're talking about spiritual warrant, it'd be the intellectual spiritual right to hold my viewpoint. And the idea is I may or may not actually understand exactly what's going on. That's really be, that's above my pay grade. That's beyond my ability to have complete confidence in. But I need to do the hard work to make sure that I have the right to hold the view that I have. Right? When we talk about discerning, not even, just, not even just the direct voice of God, but the word, right, we're interpreting the word. The word is infallible, my understanding of it is not. Warrants is me doing all the hard work to say, by God's grace, I've done everything necessary to have a pretty high confidence, this is what he's saying, but I still have this fundamental humility that says, but I could be wrong. I have enough confidence that I need to go this direction. But I'm well aware that I'm fallible. God's not. His word is not. Right? My confidence always belongs in God. Not in the message itself that I think I'm understanding. So, I vet it out. Right? I I discern the best that I can. Checking scripture. Checking with wise people. Looking for his God. Showing his hand here somehow. And then I, I move forward humbly. That's the third key point. Keep myself humble, knowing that I could be wrong, but my God, in whom I have confidence, he's big enough. He's big enough to work with that. And I'm just convinced by what he's shown me, the best that I can, I need to do this, live this way, respond this way. Humility, right? don't crave the miracles, be discerning, be humble. Be humble because sometimes it's ambiguous. Everyone else thought Paul's message meant this, Paul thought his message meant that. Nobody knew until it worked its way out, and then it's like, yep, Paul had heard it right. I had somebody give me a message that I believe is from the Lord. And with that, they made some conclusions that were deeply distressing to them. I heard them, and I heard their conclusions, and I didn't think their conclusions were what God intended. I didn't know. I thought, the, I thought God intended this. They thought God intended that. I could only go with what I believed he was saying. And as, as it turns out, it was a message for me, and I had discerned it right, and they hadn't but they had no way of knowing that. Neither did I fully. There's an ambiguity that was there. Humility is so helpful to say, God, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you're in this. So if I've got this wrong, I wanna just stay open and teachable and adjustable, but as far as I can tell, this is what you're telling me to do, and I wanna go, right? And God can use more direct means in my life, and I have relative safety, and actually, following those things. When I keep this intact, and when I'm leaning into the fact that God is big enough to guide me, even when I'm not smart enough to discern perfectly, God is good enough in speaking that He can overcome my lack of ability in hearing. I do my hard work, understand it the best I can, move forward but I stay humble, and God can use it. As we as a church move forward in our journey, I think an openness to the Spirit is absolutely central to what he wants for us. That's clear from Scripture, and I think it's an area that he wants us actually to grow more in. In fact, this series in part comes from an application of last week's message a number of years ago that I was processing and just wrestling through Scripture, and God gave me a sense of conviction. I'm convinced of that and an application of this week's message, when there was a prophetic word that vetted out that also said there needs to be more openness to the Spirit. I don't know what the openness to the Spirit looks like in any given instance, but I think it starts here. It starts with just a constant posture of prayerfulness, saying, God, big or small, I want you to work. Weird or normal, I want you to work. Miraculous or mundane, I want you to work. I want to know what's next, even if I don't know what's next. Right? I may never fully understand what you're saying, but I want to take that next step the right way. So here I go. Let's do this together. Help me and constantly bring myself back to that dependent prayer. And if we as a church do that as well, we will have grown in a way that will do so much good. So there's my question. How is your heart postured? Are you growing in this openness and this raw dependence, saying, God, guide me into your will. Not looking for fireworks and dog and pony show. If you choose to give that, I'm not gonna shut it down. That'd be cool, I have to admit. I like fireworks, that's cool. But if I never see the fireworks, it doesn't mean you're not working. I want to hear and follow. Father, as as we think about your work in our lives, the importance of your word and the community you've given us and the way you shape our hearts and our minds, the wisdom that comes from that. And then as we think of those more unusual, for many of us, pretty rare occurrences where something more dramatic happens, we just want to lay all that at your feet. We just want to be open and we want to follow. And however you choose to lead us, we'll, we'll respond the best we can by the grace you give us. May we as a church be known as people who care enough about your will to constantly posture ourselves in a responsive, listening way. And may our life outflow just be a response to that. Pray that our time of singing worship would be an encounter with you. Pray that as we walk out of this place, we'd be responsive to you, that we'd go through this week constantly realigning ourselves, attentive to what you're saying, and just walking in step the best that we can. We need your grace and we need your spirit because we are so weak, but we're so grateful for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.